0: Hi everyone, this is Amanda Dan, and welcome to Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. In honor of this week's April 20th, 420 day, the day which marijuana enthusiasts have adopted to raise awareness for the causes of cannabis legalization and medical marijuana, we're speaking with Saul Kay, who is a mover and shaker in Israel's cannabis legalization and technology drive. Saul was trained as a conventional pharmacist prior to moving to Israel. In the 1990s and establishing a pharmacy in Jerusalem. But around a decade ago, he began opening his mind to the use of medical marijuana when a severely ill friend had exhausted all other options. Now he is the CEO of Kanatek and ICANN, two Israel based initiatives working on medical marijuana efforts. We speak about how the brains and brawn of Startup Nation are still largely untapped, and so is the some $1 billion potential economic boost that deregulation could provide. After my conversation with Saul, we will hear a special report from Dubai brought to us by The Times of Israel's Ops and Blogs editor Miriam Herschlag. It was first broadcast on TLV1's promised podcast. Enjoy! Hi, Sal. Thank you for joining me. Where am I finding you today?
1: Amanda, I'm here in Beit Shemesh, actually in a, a local area called Kanae Bosem, which is the historical biblical reference to the cannabis plant. That's the area we sit in, just by the way.
0: <laughs> just coincidentally. Just
1: coincidentally.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Okay. So you work in the field of medical marijuana in Israel, but your personal journey here took you through much more conventional routes. What is your training and where are you from originally?
1: So I was born in South Africa. I grew up in Australia. I trained as a pharmacist uh, at Sydney University, Uh, worked a little bit in Sydney and then made Aliyah uh, back in 95, opened my first pharmacy here in Israel in 1999. Uh, didn't know very much about cannabis other than one of my pharmacists who used to work for me also used to do a postdoctorate under Professor Mishulam, uh, the famous cannabis uh, chemist from Hebrew University, uh, but really cannabis back then wasn't, wasn't thought of as a medicine, it was thought of as an illegal product, um, and we didn't really have much to do with it. But over the last six years, I've been in the cannabis industry both in Israel and internationally, uh, and it's a fascinating space. For Fast-moving, one of the fastest-growing industries uh, in the world, as we move towards you know better legalization and medicalization everywhere.
0: So you already mentioned uh, Professor Rafael Mishulam, and I didn't know this until I started preparing for our conversation right now. But in 1964, he was at Hebrew University, and he was what the first who discovered THC. Is that correct?
1: Well, to identify. We always knew that that cannabis as a plant affects us on a molecular level. So what is that molecule that's tying into a receptor? So he identified what we now call the cannabinoids, uh, THC and CBD being the most prevalent, the ones that most people talk about. And uh, then he went on to discover, okay, how do those molecules attach themselves in our body uh, to what receptors? And if there's something in our body that's attaching to those receptors, what is the natural product that our body is creating, uh, which is a molecule called anandamide, uh, which is our uh, endogenous cannabinoid that our bodies create themselves. Um, so fascinating area that was untouched before that, because it's been illegal since the 1930s.
0: Right. So prior to the 1930s, it wasn't illegal, but it wasn't exactly legal. Is that correct?
1: No, it used to be sold in pharmacies. There were, you know, cannabis tablets, cannabis syrups uh, that were, were sold to relieve pain. Uh, you know, there's stories of uh, Prince, um, not this Elizabeth, the previous, would use uh, cannabis for menstrual pain. Uh, there's there's historical use from Shakespeare for creativity. Um, and it goes back a lot, lot further. You know, obviously there's even been found cannabis and hemp residue in, in uh, Corbanot uh, and and incense that they found from the Baitarishon from the first temple time. Right. Uh, uh, so- Rad,
0: that was the recent uh, headlines about a year ago. That's correct. But uh, so what changed? Why was it considered so dangerous, so whatever, that it was uh, illegal?
1: Politics, politics, and racism actually turned cannabis um, from something that was used uh, relatively by a, a you know large portion of the the Black American uh, population uh, and the Mexican population, and for those reasons became illegal. Made it very easy for police to put those people in jail to search them. Oh, you're carrying a bag, a dime bag. You've got weed on you. All of a sudden, it became a, a political. Um, you know, uh, movement that that put a lot of people in jail, and those people are still in jail even when legal cannabis is going on around the world. So it 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 hasn't gone away fully yet. The prohibition still exists. Obviously, you know, it's still prohibited in Israel. You can get a license, you can get a prescription, uh, but if you're caught on the street with with cannabis without a license, it is still an illegal substance, uh, and it's going to take you know another good 10 years before that stigma st- starts to really dissipate on, on every level. And it's happening in the US you know, very rapidly as the states go one by one and follow a legalization pathway. Um, it is happening, but it does take a long, long time.
0: So what changed your mind? You were a trained pharmacist in mainstream medical uh, profession. What changed your personal mind and how do you think more minds will be changed in the future?
1: I think the same way I came into it is how most people come into cannabis you see that it's helped someone Uh, for me it was a a good friend of mine Jason who we tried many many different other um, drugs uh, lifestyle changes, diet to to help his condition uh, and ended up at the end of the line with nothing that worked so oh, let's try medical cannabis Uh, at a time when it was also starting to be a little bit more uh, recognized there was a lot more uh, science coming out there was a lot more political movement happening uh, so right place right time and it and it works it works it works on so many people that I've helped uh, get medical cannabis prescriptions get cannabis within the system in Israel it really does work so why is it so illegal what was wrong with the system that caused that to happen um, and how is it different here in Israel to I guess Colorado Canada Africa uh, Latin America, where it's all happening as well. So, you know, I took a few years to dive into those differences, the cultural differences, the political differences. It's very different to legalize uh, cannabis in Colombia, where people have died um, in fighting wars over this, as, you know, opposed to Israel or the Netherlands where there's a different culture around it and even California Um, so understanding the culture is very very important when you legalize or medicalize cannabis Um, and also understanding what the goals of that legalization are is it taxable revenue, is it to beat out the black market because that money goes into ISIS, it goes into you know drug money coming out of Afghanistan, Libya uh, Lebanon Um, you know that's not good and when 23% of these population uses cannabis and it's grown in morocco and lebanon and coming in over illegal borders down south um, that's not a great outcome so even if you leave the e- economics of it to the side the war on drugs hasn't worked um, so we have an opportunity to do it a little bit differently and see what didn't work and how we can change that and um, that's really the fundamental argument what has been done didn't work and costs I don't know, hundreds if not trillions of dollars and, you know, hundreds of thousands of lives, um, I think we can do better.
0: Hi, it's Sarah Tuttle Singer from the Times of Israel. Come join our community and support fast and fair independent journalism. You can sign up with the link at the bottom of every single article on the site. So, Is Israel a growing nation right now, or is it more of a tech uh, focused nation in terms of cannabis?
1: so it's it's evolved it started very much research only lots of clinical trials lots of researchers at universities uh, some plant researchers on the on the plant side because we have to adapt seeds that were adapted for the netherlands climate now to grow in israel and they've been you know changed through the california environment so there's a lot of different sides of cannabis research as opposed to just just the tech side, you know, there's the full medical that, you know, these molecules can kill cancers in some cases. Um, all the way down to devices that people are using. Uh, but ultimately the medical system in Israel sells cannabis flower and cannabis oil. Those are the only two products that are currently available. Um, There are, by the way, 90,000 cannabis patients licensed in Israel using an average of 30 grams per patient every month. Uh, So it starts to be a robust economy. There are hundreds of new growers coming online in Israel. Uh, There's probably 15 established farms that are growing cannabis to supply the supply chain. Uh, And because of the rapid growth of the patient's uh, Uh, The number of doctors who are prescribing it, the number of pharmacists who are dispensing it, the government is um, allowing imports or did allow imports for a short time from Canada, which has oversupply of medical cannabis and Uruguay and and Portugal uh, because the demand is so high in Israel. So I think as the market catches up to the capacity uh, that we have here we'll start to see some international movement uh, but we really do have the ability to supply as much as we need in Israel and enough for the export markets with the number of licenses that have been issued and the capital that has been raised uh, and the infrastructure that's been built out to support that.
0: I just want to back up to something you said, which uh, I didn't understand uh, fully. Uh, the licensed cannabis users receive either flour, as in for baking, or oil. Is
1: that what flower, as in the flower of cannabis? The 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 ah, plant okay. is a female <laughs> that produces flowers. Those flowers is what we smoke. Um, okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, ninety percent of the market in Israel is still driven by cannabis uh, flowers or inflorescences. Uh, and the rest, the 10% is made up by oils. And if you look in America, like the the skew is very different. It goes more towards 40% inhaled products that are not flour. So advanced vapes, uh, vaping oils, things like that. And oral tablets, oral drops. Uh, in Israel, it's still a very limited set. And most people are getting uh, cannabis flour, which they're smoking.
0: Okay. So smoking is still very much a principal part of uh, medical marijuana in Israel right now. Now on the tech side, we in Israel uh, pride ourselves so much for leading on so many uh, fronts, but are we also leaders in the tech side of cannabis?
1: We had a good run at being sort of first in the world because we had a regulatory environment that allowed us to do the research where you can't do it in the US. It's still federally illegal. You need DEA licenses. You can only get cannabis from one place in the United States that has that license, uh, which is the University of Mississippi. And so there's lots of research going on, but research takes time. So until those innovations come to market, we haven't seen that yet. We're still seeing a very nascent industry that is agricultural based we grow flowers we sell flowers Uh, sometimes we extract those flowers into further goods Um, but we're really at the very very beginning of an industry that's starting to to get some momentum behind it. Um, so we'll see a better product set coming out. We'll start to see edibles. We'll start to see consumption lounges. Uh, you look at the evolution of cannabis in Colorado or California. Um, you see it very much, uh, follow these these principles. It starts with a, a nascent early industry that's flower-based. Uh, a few growers get licenses, a few patients get licenses. Everyone gets a little bit more comfortable with the idea that your grandmother is going to be using medical cannabis. Um, and then when we get more comfortable, they start loosening up and allowing more things. But it shouldn't be any different to how people consume alcohol or cigarettes, um, parties, um, events, music events should all have a cannabis element incorporated into them in the future um, and a safe cannabis element uh, introduced so that, you know, we've got a lot of work to do policy-wise in order to get where we want to go.
0: Right. So that is on the recreational front, but it seems like in Israel, even the medical side is lagging behind from what you're saying.
1: It's, It's not lagging behind. It is encumbered by so much bureaucracy so many hands in the pie uh, understaffed government agencies too little money flowing into the system um, to keep the, the you know what's happening with the demand going right so you need more doctors who are prescribing more pharmacists more more pharmacies I my pharmacy has taken over a year to get its license uh, the number of, of um, consultants that are needed the number of hands that come into the pie just make it more more expensive to get those licenses that take a long time. It shouldn't take a year to get a license to dispense cannabis in a pharmacy where I already dispense opioids. Um, But it does. So those are the barriers to entry at the moment. There are also barriers to growth. Um, And so when those go away, we'll start to see a much more robust uh, patient numbers ecosystem uh, exploding here in Israel.
0: Now, let's speak again with your pharmacist hat on. Uh, The opioid uh, addiction in the United States pretty much over the world is just skyrocketing and it's disastrous. Do you see people becoming addicted to marijuana products?
1: So I don't believe it's addiction. I believe there is a case for dependence, Um, difference between addiction and dependence. We're dependent on oxygen. We're not addicted to it, right? You can be dependent on something where it's not toxic to you, where you can still function. So I think that's why cannabis lies. Um, You know, I'm also in the the psychedelic space, which is blowing up for mental health and addiction. Um, And we see a lot of promise there in those molecules and those natural substances that can help in the fight for addiction. Uh, But, you know, I work with many, many doctors in the US who use cannabis as a tool to get people off of other addictions the question is whether you then become addicted to cannabis I think over time we all know but an addiction to cannabis is not a harmful addiction um, it's not something you need more and more uh, quantity for it's something that's manageable it's something that creates creativity happiness uh, better sleep better better um, appetite um, those are not things that you generally associate with an addiction those are things that that you know are, are not necessarily bad bad. Um, but, you know, and there's always an element of, you know, a few people who cannabis is not good for and those people should avoid it. Like any, anything that you have a contraindication to.
0: And in terms of side effects, uh, many people talk about the paranoia associated with marijuana. What are you seeing in the medical marijuana industry?
1: So it's the same. If you have a predisposition to paranoia, uh, to dementia, to, um, you know, serious neurological effects, psychosis, don't use cannabis. Uh, But that's a very, very, very small subset of the population. Uh, Most people tolerate cannabis very, very well. Um, And if it makes you paranoid, then try a different strain. If that also makes you paranoid, then maybe cannabis isn't for you. It doesn't have to be for everyone.
0: Where do you predict that we will be here in Israel in five years in terms of the industry?
1: I sure hope we're legal, uh, fully legal, by five years. The promises at the government level have been nine months before the government dissolved. Uh, now we're going into a new uh, election cycle. The last election cycle, cannabis was not central on any party's agenda, uh, yet it's it's generally accepted and approved by most parties, um, and there's a very, very strong support across people across Israel, uh, whether you're Haredi, Arab, uh, English-speaking, French, Um, it doesn't matter. Everyone sees the benefits of cannabis and it's safer and better than than many other prescription drugs. So the resistance is slowly melting away. So in five years, I'd like to see uh, consumption lounges, coffee shops, uh, a robust ecosystem with many, many growers, many craft extractors. Cannabis is very much like a craft beer industry, craft chocolate industry. Um, It it allows many, many people to enter this, especially now coming out of Corona, people looking at what are they want to be doing with their lives. Where do they want to dedicate time, um, and where can they make an impact? And and cannabis can be that.
0: Now, in terms of impact, this week we're also observing more than just 420 Day. We're also observing Earth Day. How do you see the environmental impact of the cannabis industry?
1: I think the regulators uh, need to do a better job of of regulating things that are a little bit more modern. Um, you know the the. Uh, the real thing they want is everything to be safe. So when you make packaging safe, it usually comes with a lot more packaging, a lot more plastics, a lot more uh, boxes on the outside. So we over package in an industry where we want to be a little more conscious for the for the environment. In terms of cannabis growing itself, it's a fantastic plant. It, it absorbs. I think 8-11 to times more carbon than cotton does it's faster, it produces more fibre and it uses less water it produces food, it can produce everything man knows how to make and be produced from the hemp plant which is the the sister of the cannabis plant still illegal in Israel Um, so I think it can have a huge positive environmental impact we use hemp to clean uh, radioactive um, waste land Uh, because it grows so fast and it pulls all the toxins out of the earth we use it as something that can clean uh, environmentally so i think we can have a great impact with it we just need some better regulations to force us
0: really fascinating thank you so much for your time i've learned so much really mind-blowing
1: a pleasure yeah cannabis is really a mind-blowing plant
0: We'll now hear from the Times of Israel's Ops and Blogs editor, Miriam Herschlag, who was in Dubai for Passover and the Israeli Holocaust Remembrance Day, Yom HaShoah.
2: I'm in a hotel room on the 33rd floor, and out my window I see the Burj Khalifa. At 163 stories high, it's a tower of Babel turning the countless skyscrapers, like the one I'm in, into grasshoppers. The Borge has a tubular facade that tapers to a point high up in the sky, and in the daytime it gleams like smooth rolls of aluminum foil stuck together, while at night it glitters and shimmers with the fairy dust of a gazillion LED lights. Jonathan and I have been here in Dubai for a week now. We've got three more days left to our trip, and the intrigue and fascination, the sense of witnessing history is constant, along with curiosity and consternation over the nuts and bolts of running an absolute monarchy, where the extravagantly wealthy actual citizens make up just 11% of the population. We were here for the end of Passover week and attended Pesach Shabbat services Friday night at the Zaini V Hotel. We also went to the communal Kosher Le Pesach dinner in the Zaini Hotel's Zaini futuristic, amazing room, that's what it's called, which I would describe as a cross between a spaceship and the inside of an inverted neon-lit hornet's nest. That meal cost so much that I hesitate to mention it, but what the heck? It was $147 per head. The price tag did not include wine, but did reflect the costs, among other things, of koshering two hotel kitchens, strict supervision of every little imported morsel, and, of course, eating in the amazing room. We've had contact with the Dubai community ever since Jonathan started coming here once a year for work, and along the way discovered there was a Jewish community that met covertly, and then two years ago, in cooperation with the community leaders, he and I both wrote articles revealing the synagogue's existence. Friday dinner did enable us to meet some interesting new folks and connect with people we've already met, but don't worry, the rest of our Passover meals were modest, eaten in our room from cans and boxes we brought with us from Israel. On Sunday, I used my special Israeli superpower to show up at second-day holiday services while being under no obligations of the holiday because, as an Israeli, I'm exempt from observing these diasporic second days, which are known in Israeli parlance as Yom Sheni Shel Friarim, the second day for suckers. This meant we could just pop in at the Chabad services held at the Dubai Marina Hotel, where, after years of scrupulously avoiding PDJs, that's public displays of Jewishness, the slideshow signs touting Chabad and kosher food are startlingly bold. And back with the Jewish community of the Emirates at V Hotel, I could record some sounds from the waning hours of the holiday.
1: (laughs) أوس شوت صباح شوال مايكراس سب مارانان خير باروختا دونا يوم الملقا ولن بره بريا جيف باروختا من بين الحج بين
2: One day, we popped over to the Cybertech Conference, a roving international trade show founded by Israelis. Hebrew rang throughout the white and gold marble halls, and Jews, Arabs, East Europeans, Africans huddled, sharing threat assessments and using phrases like zero trust and securing the supply chain and bonding over their shared knowledge that privacy is a quaint relic of the past. At the Exhibition Hall, which was dominated by an outsized Israel Aerospace Industries booth, I asked a young Palestinian woman born in Nablus and raised in Bahrain how she felt about working with Israelis in a joint Emirati-Israeli company. Everyone is a person, she told me. I don't get involved in politics. And on the eve of Yom HaShoah... We were at a Holocaust remembrance ceremony, the first held in the United Arab Emirates, maybe, as one person claimed, the first in the Middle East outside Israel. Around 70 participants came to the courtyard of the small Dubai Crossroads of Civilization Museum. Speakers shared stories of grandparents murdered or rescued during the Holocaust. Yehuda Sarna, chief rabbi of the UAE, called the event a historic reunion between Ishmael and Yitzchak, and said that while so many Jews today know about the Mufti of Jerusalem's alliance with Hitler, they know far too little, perhaps nothing, about Arabs who helped Jews during the Holocaust. Three mezuzot were dedicated in honor of Arabs who showed kindness or rescued Jews from Nazi persecution. The ceremony also heralded the opening of a Holocaust memorial exhibit at the museum, a modest grouping of displays that signal the smashing of a long-observed taboo. These things really were unimaginable a very short time ago, and what we witnessed at the ceremony and throughout the visit so far is not just the implementation of official agreements between states, but the shaping of a narrative that can, maybe, maybe, inshallah, Provide a framework for warm peace. It's not an impossible stretch. Points of connection can always be found. Eli Abadi, the rabbi of the local Jewish community, is Lebanese born and fluent in Arabic. In a moment of electrifying audio serendipity, Rabbi Abadi's chanting of an Arabic translation of the El Male Rahamim memorial prayer for victims of the Shoah mingled in near harmony with the call of a drive by muezzin.
1: Allah
2: As I said, points of connection can always be found.
0: Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms.